If you would, turn with me in your Bible to the book of Zephaniah. It's near the end of the Old Testament. And this morning, we're going to talk about some things about God that maybe you haven't thought about, at least recently. One news network that's on TV has the um, motto, I guess you would say, fair and balanced. Fair and balanced. And today I would like to give a fair and balanced portrait or portraits of who God is based not on what I say, but primarily based on what he says about himself. I think that's trustworthy. I think if God says something about himself, we can take that to the bank, don't you? We can trust that. So that's what we're going to do this morning. There are so many misconceptions about God and our culture today. Some people view God like um, a Santa Claus. And they think that they can make their list and then just present that list to the Lord, whatever it is, whatever they want to ask for, and they'll get whatever they ask for. Because God's like Santa Claus. If you ask him, he'll give you that. That's what they think. However, that's, most of you know, that's not even scriptural. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. The Lord's will is a huge principle or a huge thing to be concerned with when it has to do with prayer. Amen. Are we taught by the Lord when they came to Jesus and said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And, and of course, I always have to say and remind you, I'm paraphrasing here because um, I don't want you to think that I can't quote the scripture or, or that I'm doing it wrong. I'm just trying to make a point. When they said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? His response was, well, sure. I'll be happy to. When you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. So it is a concern for us. In our relationship with the Lord and in our dealings with God, it is a concern for us that we consider what is the will of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 1 verses 15 and 16, the Bible, and this is, this is the words of our Lord. God is speaking here in Isaiah 1 and he says to the people, Well, I'll just, to save time, I'll just start at verse 15. He said, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. 
put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. So the Lord says, is, if there are things in their lives that are wrong, they're evil, they've done wrong, they've mistreated people. He says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. So no, God is not like Santa Claus where we can make a list and present it to the Lord and he gives us or guarantees everything on the list. All of us know it just doesn't work that way. We are assured of the fact from scripture that God is love. Amen. We like to talk about that. We like to think about that. That is the very essence of who God is. The Bible says that God is love. But we would be negligent. We would be dishonest with the integrity of the word of God. If we elevated the fact that God is love far above other things that the Bible says about God, that he is a holy God and he is a just God. To ignore those things and only talk about how God is love wouldn't be right at all, would it? It wouldn't be an accurate portrayal of who God really is. So I'll tell you up front that some of the things that we're going to read today, you might think odd coming from the lips of our Lord. As God speaks to his people in the Old Testament. Oh, this is strange. This is, this is This is even violent. This is, I don't know about this. But rest assured, as we read in the scripture, where God is speaking to his people, it's just as important as any of the rest. Now, in Exodus 3, God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and said, and and said to Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. That you may bring my people out of Egypt. Moses said, now when I come to the children of Israel and I tell them what you said, Lord, and they say, what is his name? What am I supposed to say? And God responded to Moses, tell them, tell the people, I am has sent me to you. Most of us know that his name is I am. That name, I am says much about who God is. Concerning God, he simply is. He alone is the I am. All others have been or shall be, but he was before everyone and everything. Think about that name, I am. All others had a beginning, but God had no beginning and will have no end. God is the creator of all that is, yet he himself was never created. God transcends time and space. Time means little to God, only as it relates to humanity, I would suppose. Distance means nothing. God is all-knowing. We, we call him omniscient. God is all-powerful. We say that he is omnipotent. God is everywhere present. He's omnipresent. His existence is confirmed by creation itself. 
Psalm 19 verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. That is to say that you can look in the heavens and now God says this. The word of God says this, that you can look into the heavens and observe what God has created and how everything function and everything stays in its courses and in its place and recognize there's a God. The Bible says the things that are made tell us so much about God that if we fail to acknowledge him, we were, we are without excuse. So says Romans chapter one. The Lord says about himself, you shall be holy to me for I, the Lord am holy. God never changes. He is immutable for I am the Lord. I do not change. Scripture says. So now we'll turn our focus to the Old Testament book of Zephaniah, where God says much, I think, that helps us understand who he is. If you have your Bibles open now to Zephaniah, we're going to look into chapter 1 and read a good portion of this. We're going to begin at verse 2. Keep in mind that we are reading what God says. The Lord says, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked that has reference to the idols. All the idols are going to be destroyed along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. Those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. Oh, he's looking, he's inquiring, he's asking. Notice in verse 7, you'll see these words, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Jumping all the way down to verse 12. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men. Think about that. As, as if the Lord was taking a lantern or a lamp through the city at night, searching and looking at how people are living. He says, I will punish the men who are settled in complacency. Who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Notice verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. Now God is speaking. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. Verse 15. That day is a day of wrath. A day of trouble. And distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness, darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm. 
Verse 17, I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse, like garbage. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured. Devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. How many would agree with me that that is a very gloomy, thought provoking passage of scripture? Would you agree? It's, it's bleak. It's dark. It's unpleasant. It is almost hard to read and take it seriously, but it's the word of God. And the Bible tells us, God tells us that that day, the day of the Lord, it's a very common theme in scripture, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is is a horrible day. The day of the Lord is a time of the outpouring of his wrath. The day of the Lord is, is described in all these ways that we just talked about there. These horrible things that are going to happen. It's, it's terrible what's happening there. Well, it tells us volumes. It tells us that God is offended. It tells us that God is upset. He's angry. It tells us that God is jealous too. I want to, I want to say just a, a little bit about this phrase in chapter one, verse 18, where it says, the fire of his jealousy, the fire of his jealousy. And if you turn over to chapter three, verse eight, I think it is, you see something. Yeah. Again, with the fire of my jealousy, you see that phrase again, two times. In Zephaniah, we are told that God is jealous. There are other scriptures that talk about the same thing. Our, our God is a jealous God, the scripture says. And I, want, I want to speak about that just a moment to get us thinking in a way perhaps that we can better relate to this. There's, there's two kinds of jealousy that I would like to highlight. Number one, there is a jealousy... When you want something that's not yours, somebody else has something that you have, whether it's success or money or whatever, and you are jealous of them. You want something they have. That kind of jealousy is sin. Amen? That type of jealousy where you want something that doesn't belong to you is wrong. There is another kind of jealousy, however, where you want something that's yours. Now, that's not wrong. If something belongs to you and someone else has it or has taken it and you want it, there's nothing wrong with that. 
In the scripture, and we've already acknowledged the fact that God is the creator, right? Everything that exists, God made it. He made everything that was made. He created it all. He made mankind. He actually made man in his likeness and image and then wanted man to reciprocate um, and, and love him and worship him. If I'm right, would you tell me amen? God created us to be creatures who would honor him and worship him and love him. The Bible says in Ezekiel 18 verse 4, and God is speaking in this passage, and the Bible says, all souls are mine. The Lord says, all souls are mine. He made us all. Every one of us were created by God. We can owe our existence to God. All souls are mine, the Lord says. But then some of those souls, he doesn't have, does he? They have been stolen. They have not committed their life to him. They're not doing what they were created to do. They don't love God. They don't honor God. They don't worship God. They've turned their back on God. Some don't even believe there is a God. So to say that all souls are mine is one thing in the sense that he created them all. But boy, he's jealous when they don't honor him as God and go after other gods or give their devotion, their time, their energy, and so forth to other things. Idols. Sometimes we wouldn't say they were idols, but that's what it amounts to. If it takes our love and devotion, time and energy and money away from God, and we give our time, money, energy, and 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 so forth to those things, and we've neglected God, then we fall into that category. In verse 12, who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Chapter 3, verse 1 gives us this, as I'm going to skip over just a moment, just pops up here as I look at my Bible. The Lord says, woe to her who is rebellious and polluted to the oppressing city. And you know who he's talking about? His own people at Jerusalem. And he says to them, she has not obeyed my voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to God. And the Lord is angry. The Lord is jealous. Because his own people have stooped to worshiping idols and going in a different way. He created man and he created man to worship him. And so many people don't do that. They're sinning, ignoring God, ignoring his word, ignoring his ways. To many people, sin is no big deal. Right? To many people, sin is no big problem. But God said in Ezekiel 18 verse 20, the soul who sins shall die. Psalm 7 verse 11 says, God is angry with the wicked every day. And God in this passage in Jeremiah chapter 1 is speaking about the day of the Lord. As I said, it's, it's talked about in many, many passages of scripture throughout the Bible. The day of the Lord, a day of judgment, a day of wrath. 
He said in this chapter, he talked about consuming them three times, cutting them off two times, punishing them three times, the wrath being poured out two times. He's going to search with lamps. The day of the Lord is near. God is serious about sin. That's what this passage teaches us. And the the really sad thing is, is he's looking at Jerusalem and Judah when he says this. He's, he's looking where his own people live. Now, later in chapter 3, he's going to talk about, excuse me, chapter 2, he's going to talk about the nations. But right now, the nations aren't in view. Everything we've said thus far, he's directing toward his own people in Judah and Jerusalem. And he's saying to them, the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is near. This is what's going to happen on the day of the Lord. And we know there's been, there's been... Some partial fulfillments of these things in scripture. But here's one thing we dare not miss and ignore, my friends. The day of the Lord, as it's talked about in scripture, lies before us still. It is a future event that the Bible talks about. The day of the Lord, a terrible day, a horrible day, a dreadful day. When God's wrath is poured out. When God takes his lamp and examines all who love them and all who don't. And makes the distinction between the two. Yes, the Lord takes sin very seriously. Now I'd like for us to look at chapter 2. Now we've looked at that picture of God where he spoke about himself and portrayed himself as being this jealous, angry, disappointed God. Because of what was happening. In chapter 2, this is a different picture of God. It gives us a different dimension of who he is. And I like this one. As a matter of fact, I like the next two. I don't particularly care for the first one. But the next one in verse 2, chapter 2, I mean, chapter 2, tells us that God is merciful to the repentant. I'm going to tell you, that's awful good news. He says, chapter 2, verse 1, gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together. Now, remember, this is God talking. Oh, undesirable nation, talking to his people. Before the decree is issued, or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord. All you meek of the earth who have upheld his justice, seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Now, if I were to ask you today, how many here want to be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger? My hand's going up. Amen. I don't want to experience chapter one. I don't want to experience the wrath of God. I don't want to experience being consumed, destroyed, punished. All those things chapter 1 talked about. I don't want anything to do with that. The good news is, if I'm repentant and are walking with God and obeying His Word, I don't have to experience that. So again, he says, before that day, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. If you'll just repent, if you'll hear my word, if you'll obey my commandments, he says. Just repent, humble yourself, seek righteousness, do what's right. That's the second picture. 
So we've got photo number one. God is jealous and he takes sin very seriously. And that picture is just as legitimate as the other two. And then you've got the second picture where the Lord says, come, come and repent. I'll forgive you. I'm a merciful God. I long to forgive you. I want to forgive you. All souls are mine. I want you to come and do what you were created to do. Honor me as your creator. Acknowledge who I am. Obey my word. Keep my commandments. Come, repent. Well, that's a beautiful picture. You've seen these pictures and paintings of Jesus as he stands there with open arms. Come, come and repent. And that's the posture of this one. And that's just as great as the first one. Just as true as the first one. It's just a different dimension or perspective on who God is. The third one is the one that that encourages me the most, I think. Because in verse 3, chapter 3 it is, let's begin reading at verse 14. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. We were singing that a while ago. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Let not your hands be weak. Now, every one of these things thus far is talking about the people of God. Notice we're supposed to sing. We're supposed to shout. We're supposed to be glad. We're supposed to rejoice with all our heart. Because the Lord has taken away our judgment, forgiven our sin, cast out the enemy. The Lord is now in our midst. And he's going to take care of us. Now that's awful good news. Let me say that's wonderful good news. Not awful. It's good. It's good to be forgiven. Amen. It's good to know your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Listen, this is something that's missing in most churches today, including this one. That's coming to church. And sing and shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart. The fact that we are saved and our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life is not something to come fold our arms and come to a dead church and sit and hear a dead, a dead, dead preacher preach a dead sermon and go home just like we came and nobody's rejoiced and been happy. That's not the way it's supposed to be, is it? So what happens because we understand who we are. Listen, we, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was in a position before God where I was destined for his wrath and consumption and punishment and all those other things we read it, but not now because I've come to the Lord and I've repented of my sin and my name is written down in the Lamb's book of life and I'm walking with the Lord and I stand righteous before him because I've yielded to him. So because of that, the Bible says I can sing and I can shout and I can be glad and rejoice with all my heart because the Lord has taken away my judgments. And cast out my enemy. And the king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You tell me that's not consistent with New Testament teaching? About where God is? 
according to the Bible, he's not only in our midst, he's in our hearts. The Holy Spirit of God indwells the believer. Amen. And we can, we can be filled with the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We can be filled with the Spirit. God indeed is in our midst. And we have reason to be happy. We have reason to rejoice. We have reason not to walk in the mully grubs and be down and depressed and all those other things. Because of what the Lord has done for us. Verse 17. Just kind of reach out like this and change gears now with me. We're changing gears. At verse 17, we're changing gears. Where the Bible says, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Now, did you notice what happened there? Now it's not talking about God's people singing and shouting and being glad and rejoicing. Now it's talking about what God does. The Lord, your God in your midst, the mighty one, he will rejoice over you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. That's a pretty awesome picture right there to think that the Lord would be singing as he looks down and sees us living for him, honoring him. Not only does he expect us to sing, but the Bible says he rejoices over us with singing when his righteous saints humble themselves before him and begin to glorify his name. It brings a song to God's heart and he sings over us. He rejoices over us. Now think about that. In chapter one, was the Lord rejoicing over that crowd? No, not at all. But in chapter three, it's because beginning at verse 12 of, of uh, chapter three, I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed their flocks and lie down and no one will make them afraid. How many, how many have ever heard that phrase, God has a remnant? God has a remnant. Now you look at Jerusalem and Israel in this passage in Zephaniah and you know the whole place looked like a wreck. You would have thought they were all sinners and no, wasn't anybody doing right at all. But this tells us, yeah, there was a remnant. There was a small portion of the total population there and they were doing what was right. And as they come before the Lord, that remnant and those who were willing to repent, they could sing and shout and be glad and rejoice because the Lord had taken away their judgments. But what really speaks to my heart is that the Lord was so happy about that, that God was rejoicing and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now the New Testament tells us, of course, that, that there is joy in the presence of the angels when someone comes to Christ. Joy in the presence of God. But this passage goes a little bit farther and seems to indicate that the Lord is really excited and the Lord is really joyful when we walk with him. The old songwriter said, and I don't know who if it was, if it was male or female, 
But they said, and he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. So as a Christian, when you walk with God, when you repent, you commit your life to Jesus. Not only do you have the right to rejoice, the privilege to rejoice, but even the obligation, the responsibility to be joyful in the Lord for what he's done for you. But then God also rejoices over you and who you are in him. Well, there's a song that says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. We're reading this morning and we've been talking about a book from the Bible, Zephaniah, that is very possible somebody in here never even heard of till this morning. Because you don't hear much about Zephaniah when people talk about scripture. But it presents for us three different pictures of who God is. The first is the Lord, the God of the day of the Lord, a day of wrath, a day of punishment, a day of consuming fire, of being cut off, a day of retribution. It's a terrible day. And that's who we see. Is that an accurate picture? Yes, it is. In chapter 2, we see this God who is standing with arms wide open saying, all souls are mine. Would you come and repent? Would you come and humble yourself? Would you come and seek me? Is that an accurate picture? Yes, it is. And then thirdly, you come to this picture of God rejoicing (laughs) and being glad over his people who are obedient. And who are joying in him, rejoicing in him, and then he rejoices over them with singing, the Bible says. Sounds like to me it's getting awful real here in this passage. That's not playing around. That's real stuff. When you worship and honor God, and he reciprocates by rejoicing over you and singing as well. Well... Chapter 1, the day of the Lord, it's coming. Take it to the bank. It's not a historical thing that's already happened. It is coming. As a matter of fact, you're even hearing people on the news talk about that it may be coming. I heard somebody on the news this week made this statement. A newscaster said, If North Korea fires another missile over Japan and Japan decides to respond, it's going to trigger World War III. He's right. It very well could. We are that close to some of what we're reading about in Zephaniah chapter 1. It could be days away. It could be years away. I don't know. I'm not even making a judgment about that, but I'm telling you that what the Bible says is going to happen. It's going to come to pass. 
The point is, if we have embraced chapter 2 and repented and surrendered and walking in the will of God, being obedient to His holy word, then we don't have to worry too much about chapter 1. Now that's good news. The gospel, if you will. And if we have surrendered to Him, then we can rejoice. We don't have to sweat what's going to happen. I have to tell you, when I go to bed at night and I lay down to go to sleep, I'm not worried about North Korea. I'm doing what the Bible says. I'm keeping my eyes open and I'm watching the signs of the times. But when I go to bed at night and lay down, I can lay down and sleep. I'm not worried about Kim Jong-un or China or Japan or what anybody else does. Because I know as we started out the service today, the Lord reigns. He's sovereign. God's got this. I just need to make sure I'm with him. I'm for him, not against him. The only way to do that is to surrender our lives to him. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we sing this beautiful hymn. And if you're here today and you would like to spend a few moments talking to the Lord as we sing this, if our altar is just filled with everybody praying, that would not be a bad thing at all. Let's take to heart the words to this hymn, should we? Just to trust His plan.
want to invite you to gather around the front with us. Uh, we are going to pray for the needs that have been shared. Someone has asked to be anointed and prayed for today. We'd like for you to help us uh, lift this need up. So if you would just gather me around the front here as we're going to close our service with one verse of this song, the last verse, and then we're going to uh, pray for these needs before we leave today. There's a passage of scripture that says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and anoint him with oil and pray the prayer of faith. And the Lord will hear that prayer and bring help and healing. Earlier this week, Ashley called or texted me and she would like to be anointed today for her grandfather. Ashley's grandfather is uh, a minister of the gospel. He pastors the church. He's in his 80s, right? Uh, fine man, Bill Flanagan, loves the Lord. But uh, for some reason, he's getting now where in his feet, if he takes about three steps, he's got numbness in his feet and then he's done. He's, he's just kind of debilitated there. So I'm going to ask us to lift Bill up to the Lord. And if there's anyone else that would like to be anointed, we will be happy to do that as well. But um, there's nothing, in case you've never seen this done before, never heard of this. It's, it's nothing magical about the oil. It's just olive oil, probably from Food Line. Okay, so it's not the oil. It's the obedience and the faith. Okay, so we're going to anoint with oil. And we're going to believe together. And then we're going to pray for other needs, shall we? Come join with me and lay hands on her if you would. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Lord, for the faith that Ashley has in your word and for the obedience, Lord, to ask that this be done. It's consistent with what you teach us in the New Testament. So I pray, Lord, that you would minister today and honor Ashley's faith and the faith of those who are here gathered and who are praying right now. As we plead the blood of Jesus over Bill Flanagan and ask, Lord, that you would minister to him. We pray, Lord, that you would touch his feet and his legs, whatever's causing this problem. Lord, we know that you are a God that is able. 
This man loves you. He's ministered your word for years. And we're simply asking that you would touch him and bless him and minister to him. Even now, while he may be standing in a pulpit, I don't know. I just pray, Lord, that he would feel the presence and the power, the healing touch of Almighty God as you minister to him today. You're an awesome God. We thank you, Lord, today. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers and for ministering to this need. You're a wonderful Savior, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. These needs I'd like to share before we um, pray this final prayer. We have a request here to please remember Janie Lassiter and Lucy Stewart. We've heard these names before. Let's pray that the Lord would minister to these. Also, we have a request from Betty Tilton. Betty is in Rex Hospital presently and will be going somewhere for several weeks for some treatment and some antibodies that she's receiving. Edna Allison is in the hospital. She had another surgery on Friday, a complication from the first one. So please remember Edna. Ron Bomar is not here today, as you've noticed, and he's not feeling well. He has COPD, which flares up occasionally, and he's not feeling well at all. So we'd like for you to pray for Ron. Also for his son, Michael, who as you know, is being treated for cancer, and also his grandson, Josh, who has MRSA. Also, um, Robbie is not feeling well today and is not with us. We'll give you the opportunity now to share any need that you have before we lift these to the Lord over on this side. Anyone? As I work my way around. Okay. We read in the Bible where the Lord healed some ears, didn't he? Yeah, he can do that. All around here, anybody? Repeat that again, please. A leg, okay. Chet and Chris, right? Okay. All right. Faye. Now let's remember that. Now, if you can remember all these, you're doing better than I'm doing to stand here and repeat them. But that's not important. Because we've shared the needs, and then we're going to lift them collectively to the Lord and ask Him to minister. I believe you'll hear, don't you? 
Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. You tell us in your word to cast our care on you, for you care for us. So today we bring these needs. We ask you to minister. Yes, Lord, we're reminded in the New Testament of where you healed people's hearing. Lord, you healed their eyes. You delivered people from all kinds of physical afflictions. You even raised the dead. And you tell us to bring our requests and our petitions to you. And Lord, so because you are so faithful, so faithful, I know that you hear our prayers today in this church as we look towards heaven and place our faith and our confidence in you. Minister to these needs. Lord, because I don't know every need and I don't know every circumstance, I simply pray the way that we've been taught to pray. That is that with regard to every need that's been shared today, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in each heart and each life. Bring healing, bring salvation. Certainly, Lord, if any of these are lost and don't know you as Lord and Savior, please be merciful to them. Allow them the opportunity to hear the gospel. May someone in their lives who is at the right time in the right place going to be there to share with them the love of God and pray with them be merciful to your people thank you Lord Lord for the many people that we have who are traveling today and vacationing I just pray that you keep them safe bring them back Lord safely minister to them we pray and all the needs that may exist that we're not aware of people who may not be feeling well might be sick just touch your people you know who we are meet each need we pray for we ask it in jesus name amen amen why don't you give somebody a handshake and a hug